This is just a quick language warning for people who are at work or with their kids or who just don't want to listen to something with strong language. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to enjoy your analysis's episode on The Dark Knight Rises. I want to stop there. I'm Evan Westman. <laughs> what, what, kills me, what kills me is, like, to the people who <laughs> weren't listening right before he did that, it's like, <laughs> we gotta go, three, two, one. <laughs> and then you pulled it out like you were sitting on the bed. <laughs> I'm done with this episode already. All right. And I'm joined by... Sorry, we just got to get your intros, too. Jelani Kelly. David Jones. All right. That is the first of many vain impressions that I will probably be doing throughout this episode. I cannot fucking wait. Let's go into initial reactions. This was... I've seen this several times. Saw it in theaters. I think it's always been my favorite of the trilogy, but I'm not going to argue that it's better than The Dark Knight, and I never really have. What did you guys think of it this time around, or in in previous viewings? Okay, this is the second time I've seen it since I saw it in theaters, so it was pretty... It felt pretty new, especially because I couldn't understand anything being said when I watched it in theaters, and there's no subtitles on the screen, so I had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) I always heard this movie was... (laughs) the second best and even a lot of my close friends kind of have this as a cheeky like favorite of the trilogy and i can get that if you watch a certain way but if the way i watched it this the second time going through this film in so many years that was a lot and it it came out of somewhere and i did not enjoy it that much I honestly, before watching it, or like time watching this trilogy, I would have said my least favorite was Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises was my second favorite, but watching The Dark Knight Rises this time gave me a newfound appreciation for Batman Begins, and I now put that in second place just because I feel more satisfied with that story and that world. But yeah, Dark Knight Rises, I feel there's just a lot going on. It feels like Spider-Man 3 to me in that way, where there's just like a lot of different things being put on the table, which makes sense production-wise, because I don't know if you guys remember like the news around that time, but how much of that script got scrapped because of everything and how they had to like come in again. And they didn't have that much time, so it didn't have the refinery. And it is widely known as Nolan's least popular or worse film which i didn't know that was a thing until i was doing research after i watched it this time which was interesting i didn't realize that was something but like i mean he has so many amazing films so the worst i don't know what that really says but i personally would probably put it there out of all the nolan films i'd seen i would say this is probably the bottom for me even below dunkirk well that's maybe because you haven't seen insomnia i would put insomnia far and away as his worst no they have good cookies Insomnia has delicious cookies. Insomnia does have good cookies, but that movie has nothing to speak of except, like, okay performances from Robin Williams and Al Pacino and, who is it, Hilary Swank. But uh, none of them are at the top of their game, I think. I- I'm sure there there are other people who, e- even those who have seen Insomnia, though, who name this as Nolan's worst. I've always been a little bit of an apologist for this, but, you know, we'll we'll get into its flaws and... 
some places where I, I do think there are merits to this, and I'm going to defend it a bit. I agree. I don't think it's always, like, always, you know, terrible. I thought Inception was no one's worst. All right. Of all the ones you've seen? Yeah, like, I thought that I was universally... That I don't right. believe you. Now you're just, you trying, to, really you're just trying to trigger me here, and I'm not going to fall for it. <laughs> I really don't believe you, because a lot of people who talk about Inception, they talk about the same way they talked about Interstellar, and when I finally sat down to watch Interstellar, I was like, okay, I get it. No, no, David, he's no, not I'm being serious. I'm sure trolling him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My first time seeing it. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Again, like the Dark Knight, I had no idea what was happening. So even my first time sitting and watching it, uh, my initial reactions were, what the fuck is happening? Because I don't know what was happening with the plane scene in the beginning, and I still don't. I, I'm surprised they did an eight-year time skip. That's pretty big. Everybody still looks the same age. That's crazy. I said I know Miss Tate is Talia, Roz's daughter, and I know she has the worst death, worst, worst death scene. And then once I saw it, it, it was worse than I thought it was. Like, I, I knew people had made fun of it before, but I had to go back and watch it like three times because it was so damn funny. I said, is Blake supposed to be Tim Drake? Tim Drake is the one in the comics that figures out Batman's identity and he becomes the third Robin. And then at the end, she was like, you should use your real name, Robin. Uh, no, I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't like that at all. I said, I'm just not realizing realizing that's that was Ben Mendelssohn, right? Daggett? Yeah. Yeah. The bike did the thir- turn thing a couple of times. I had to rewatch that when it when it happened. That was crazy. And the sound. I listened for the sounds this time and it was whew. I love the bike. It's so damn cool. And then I I just stopped making notes halfway through the movie. But my last note was like, Bane actually succeeded in taking everything from Batman. What a menace. I love it. And that's it. It was cool. I probably won't watch the same time soon again. Unless I just want to see somebody shit on Batman in every way possible. So on the whole, you, you liked it, though? Yeah, it was alright. Okay. Yeah, I remember just, just going off of the thing about Blake and whether he's Robin. I remember back when this first came out i had a friend who was much more knowledgeable about all things comics than i am Uh, he was saying that there was a chance that blake was going to be nightwing because i guess maybe there was talk that like they would still kind of continue this series in some way obviously that didn't happen but i remember him saying that that was like a possibility I still don't really know who Nightwing is, but we don't need to get into that. I feel like he was a cop at some point or a detective in the comics. Nightwing? No, no, I'm thinking of um, <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the Flash. Isn't the Flash and a detective? In I the thought day? he was a photographer. Okay. No, that's I know the Spider Man, but like I feel like a lot of de- like people copied that too. I thought he was also a photographer. No, I'm pretty sure Flash is a detective. Interesting. I've never read a Flash comic, or yeah, really, fun. I didn't like the Flash TV show either, so. Yeah, it's fun. It, Nightwing, I, I could see him also being Nolan's version of Nightwing, but his real name being Robin, I don't think sat right with anybody. I'm stupid. Yeah, I, I've never heard anyone like that choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're done with initial reactions, though, we can get into the topics, so 
My topic was Bane, specifically his plan and ideology, but Jelani, you wanted to bring up Bane as well, so you can start with that if you want. I didn't even write anything for that, because I completely forgot I wanted to do that as well, and then I just went heavy in the topic about source material accuracy. So I just wrote Bane is a beast. <laughs> well, you're not wrong about that. Oh, there it is again. Right. Here he we is. Keep a, <laughs> the man of the hour. <laughs> we should keep a counter, a mental counter of how many times he does that. Um, see how many we can get in one episode. I mean, I could just um, say all of his lines. <laughs> of course you'd have them memorized. I have a lot of them memorized, uh, probably not all of them. I thought I wouldn't like this version of Bane, because once I heard he doesn't have the venom in this movie, I had checked out when I was little. Or younger, I don't know when this came out, 20-something. 2012. Yeah, I was checked out. And then once I saw it, I was like, you know what? It's not bad without the Venom, because the Venom is a big part of Bane in the comics. And we'll get into that in my thing. I kind of like the menacing, like, he's a physical threat still without the Venom. He's also a mental threat, because he's just like, these plans were just always going crazy. He was just outsmarting every damn person in this movie and it was like i love it yeah so to transition into what i was gonna talk about with him i realized his plan is more cohesive than i had thought because i've i've kind of gone back and forth with it over the years i used to be more of a defender of it because there are some holes to be poked in in bane's plan and like the effectiveness of it i guess and this time watching it i was going into it thinking is there a reason for the whole thing with the stock exchange and getting Bruce's fingerprints and all that because I was like maybe you can cut that I actually watched it more closely and like made sure to have subtitles on this time and I, I realized there is a purpose to all of that it does actually factor into his plan to like take over Wayne Enterprises and get access to the armory that said I think it's a very inefficient way to do that in terms of the story like as a villain plan that kind of checks out like that works but we spent almost the entire first hour of the movie on that which is not efficient even if some of the sequences in there are kind of fun yeah my issue with bane really more came in towards the second half of the film like i i understand like he's not i i'm able to separate the venom not being there like as a fan i would love that but even that like that's not my issue with bane like my issue really more so lies in the second half when they try to shoe in the Ra's al Ghul connection because that's when all of his like yeah. ideologies start to yeah. kind of cave in on themselves. And it's like, well, if you're trying to give the city back because it's been corrupt, then how are you doing what Ra's did? Because Ra's wanted to burn the city down and not give yeah. it to these people. So how are you Ra's? And then like they double down when ghost Jedi Liam Neeson comes in and he's like hey, that's my baby. And I'm like, why does he also have to be your literal child? <laughs> like, this is crazy. Yeah, Bane's ideology is where I had the biggest problem this time. And it's too bad because I feel like that could be a really big strength of the movie if it was done right. It struck me this time that, like, a lot of the characters that are trying to stop the bomb from going off are kind of playing with the idea of, like, does Bane even believe this whole eat the rich thing that he's going for because he's talking about it a lot and he's like freeing all the prisoners and trying maybe he's doing like 
class struggle commentary and like how does he eat though that fair question um i think that actually was was one of the questions on the faq page on imdb it was like if he's got the mask on can he like does he take it off to eat and drink how does that work? He said it would be extremely painful. For you. Yeah, they said the mask like helps contain the pain. So when he's eating and drinking, it's just like god awful. <laughs> Is he just screaming the whole time? <laughs> Press the <jet-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-tick-
why people don't like it as a choice because it's like well if you don't blow it up you're allowing someone like batman to come in and then like if they really wanted it to go off then why didn't they hit the trigger as soon as batman shows up and like as soon as the police start rebelling against all the criminals and bane's henchmen and stuff like there is a little bit of an inconsistency there but at the same time i feel like it would be kind of disappointing for them because bane has his whole thing with like why he lets bruce live in the prison that has the hope of getting out like that makes a lot of sense to me that like if he's if he's that into torturing people then yes that is so much more painful to have the bomb blow up in a situation where like because if he just blows it up it's like oh you know it's terrible but also you don't have the five months of wondering and worrying whether it can happen and trying to stop it i understand why he's torturing the well i don't understand why he's torturing them like that just seems to be his motive but if that's his goal then he is going about that very effectively so if his only end is torture then I guess everything he's doing makes sense. It's just not as interesting as if he, you know, believed in something. Is it a dumb plan? Like, is is letting it go off dumb, or is that cool? I guess we don't have to s- set it as such a binary, but, like, where does it fall on that spectrum? For what the guy was written as, I would let it go off. But, like, uh, the dialogue and everything, other scenes that kind of make up this film that kind of say Bane is one thing while his actions say another is kind of annoying. I think it's explosive. Quite literally. I think that's why it was hard for me to get into it to the point where like, because by the time that happened, I was like, alright, cool. And then it was like, do-do-do-do, I failed you, sniveling, do-do-do-do-do, which was like the worst like that scene was gone so quick and like everyone around alfred it was so funny they were like we don't know how to handle a man crying we're just gonna pat him on the shoulder all right bye and i was like this is hysterical and then they had that like i want to see you in italy moment and it was over and i was like okay well so i guess the bomb didn't matter because it didn't even kill him i guess that's really more where my quest like not to like hijack the question but how do we feel about batman surviving like how does that how does any of that like that's why i guess with the bomb like so how did that work is there an explanation that i didn't get they wanted a disney ending that's the explanation i heard when it first came out people thought that and this is probably partly because nolan's last movie was inception with its ambiguous ending a lot of people thought that it might have been in alfred's imagination that he sees bruce wayne there and you could kind of take it whichever way you wanted like is he alive or isn't he you can kind of choose whichever ending you wanted i kind of like to think that he's alive i don't know how because there's there's the debate of like did he fix the autopilot because there's a little bit of like the thing where fox tells him that the autopilot on the bat doesn't work but maybe batman can fix it no that literally makes no sense because how would he get away if he's in, we see him in the thing, out over the sea? Is he going to swim away from the bomb, Evan, six miles? I, I don't have an answer for that. I just know it's been debated whether he's actually alive at the end. 
It's a dumb debate. I like to think he's alive despite all logic, but it doesn't make sense for him to be alive. Me too. I like to. I don't even like to think he's alive. I like to just. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises is really existing on that like '60s French New Wave kind of work where you're like, oh wow, this is a little bit subconscious. This is cool. Wow, I did not. The, I think the movie's a bit more literal than that. Like, I don't think it's that conceptual. So I just like to take it for what it is because Batman just always like Michael Myers. He's always survives. But I just like, oh my god, true, like that. It? Wow. That's just wild. Like, that was just, like, crazy to me. And I guess that's really why the whole, like, I didn't even... Until you brought it up this couple of minutes ago, I didn't even, like, really ever notice that that was a thing with Bane, where it was like, oh, he's just letting the bomb go off instead of blowing it up. Yeah, well, it, the reasoning for it didn't really become clear to me until this time, because I was I was really looking for it hard. And I've always kind of been a little bit of a defender of bane's plan even before this time just like he is trying to set himself apart and i always thought he was trying to make a larger point this time I, i'm not actually sure that that's true as much as i think it would be cool for that to be the case it's just sadistic torture but at the same time like i know it taps into like if you give somebody hope to succeed even though they inevitably will fail it's gonna hurt so much more batman never fails but that brings up a question of like just in terms of the logic of his plan or i guess it's more so miranda or talia she floods the chamber with like five minutes to go on the bomb and i think it's a legitimate question of why didn't she just flood the chamber at the first opportunity and looking back, I'm not actually sure how much earlier the first opportunity is. Like, if she could have done that as soon as they detached the bomb from the reactor. Or if she could have only done it, like, maybe three minutes before she actually does. But in either case, like, if they have access to the chamber and they don't flood it for five months, that feels a little bit weird. Because most of the city doesn't know that they that the bomb will eventually you know the core will deteriorate unless they put it back in the reactor like the majority of the city doesn't know that so they could flood the chamber and nobody would care in context of like being held hostage i guess it's just uh getting to the end of that ramble i guess i'm realizing it's just a plot hole i don't know do we think maybe that's part of their ideology that like she doesn't flood the chamber like is that the same as the same logic as having the hole in the prison that you can climb up like is is that why they kept it there do, or do we think that's just you know a dumb character decision that they wrote in i think it's more that one more the latter mm -hmm. what is flooding the chamber do the machine that bruce wayne makes is like a clean energy thing but it requires nuclear power from the core thing which can then you know if detached become a nuke basically but if they reattached the bomb to the reactor then it could stabilize or whatever and not go off but then if the chamber gets flooded the reactor like shuts down forever there's a few lines that he says because he he like gives access to miranda and says like i could have flooded this chamber at any time in the past few years, but 
but I'm trusting you to, you know, keep it around. So he could have avoided, like, the bomb, the potential for a bomb to be created by just decommissioning it. So then when she floods it at the end, that prevents them from being able to to reattach it to the reactor and ensures that the bomb will go off when the time runs out. So my question is, is there a legitimate reason for her to not flood the chamber as soon as possible? Get rid of the chamber. I don't want to hear about the chamber. Uh, the chamber was just extra stuff we didn't need in the movie. Okay, but given that this is like in the mechanics of how it's set up, like let's just take that as a given. Is it a dumb idea story-wise for her to not flood it until like the last minute, like when she sees that they're they're gonna try to reattach it, and yeah. there's like five minutes? It is a dumb decision. You think? Yeah, I think it really just shows like sloppy craftsmanship, and I think it's because of how hastily written the script was. Because if you think like if I put the Joker, like if I put the situation in the Dark Knight, because of how meticulous that was written, like the Joker would have been aware of that, and he would have like removed that thing and flooded it at the same time, and it would have been like a dramatic thing that like propelled us further. But like this, they for sure it feels more like first drafty, and it's like they wrote it and they were like, all right, this this is a cool little Easter egg plot thing right here early on. Put it again at the end, bam! Instead of like having the time to tighten it up. Yep. But you know that's Hollywood. No, no more chambers. And how did Bruce not know that Bane and his people was in his weaponry the whole time? Yeah, like right below it. Yep. Your precious armory, gratefully accepted. That's three. Number three. Well, to pu- to push back a little bit against what you were saying, David, I- I'm not saying that like any of your points there are invalid because they they very much are valid. When you say the Joker wouldn't do that, the Joker is functioning under different goals and different ideals than Bane did I, is. Did I say he wouldn't do it? Oh well, I think you said he would have flooded it. And then, like, pulled it out immediately, that or something like that. I, know, I was saying, like, just because of how it was written, I was thinking more just like on the craftsmanship of the script. Like, my point was more like this script, th- that whole kind of spectacle functions in a setup and a in a first act into a payoff in a third act, and it doesn't really do much for the plot. It does absolutely nothing for the character. And because we already know he has to get rid of it, I think, time-wise. I don't think anyone really thinks that they're going to reattach it. And that's just, like, a final, like you said, boom kind of thing. And we're already at that point where it's like, all right, cool, he's going to throw it out. Whereas with how well The Dark Knight was written, like, I think if that situation happened, it would have played out more in a way where the Joker would have removed it the way Bane removed it. And then at the end of that scene, as like a final like shock, flooded it, and it would have also like raised the stakes. You could have left them there to like try to find their own way out, and it would have been like a cool, just like kind of natural way to propel the story and also like raise the stakes of the plot and the character's actual life. Where this this doesn't really do any of that in Dark Knight Rises. That's fair. I agree that it it feels a little bit sloppy, more than a little bit, but. In terms of character motivations, Talia and Bane, if their goal is just to torture Batman, and they have this idea that hope makes, you know, pain worse, 
then not flooding the chamber is doing that better. Because if they flood it, then I guess Batman gives up sooner or, like, knows he has to, you know, fly the bomb to some secure location. It does feel a little bit consistent with their whole approach. But I'm not, I'm not saying that that makes it better. It, it certainly is a step or five down from the way that the Joker functions in The Dark Knight. But I think there is some kind of logic there. But it sounds like you guys disagree, which is fine. This makes me come up with another question. So I never really thought of it as torturing Batman like that so much. Like I thought Bane saw that as like a cherry on top. Like the plan was always like to do this and Batman like just so happened to be there. So, but now with like everything you're saying, I can definitely see like, even if it wasn't their intention, like subconsciously, like in the material that we were given, all of his like actions could be kind of traced rooted back down to that like he loves torture but do you think talia is the same way because i always thought talia maybe was more of like actually like Roz, and i think that was just because of the bias because i know from the comics and like reading about her and Roz. but what about you guys how did you guys think about that because i never thought that they were both like torturing batman i agree with david i think talia was more about fulfilling Roz's thing even though Bane said it which is a whole nother thing like he's there I don't think they ever should have made Bane part of the League of Shadows to begin with or connected him with Talia that's again that's a whole nother thing we'll talk about that in our too much happening topic but um I'm with David Bane was more about breaking the bat and Talia was more about fulfilling the dream and Bane was more focused on the bomb because that was her dream because he was sent for that whole family for some reason so i think it's a combination of torturing batman and torturing gotham slash the world as a whole because they kind of have like a global stage for it it's not just a city-wide tragedy because you know you have the u.s Mm -hmm. military and everything coming in so i don't think it's just batman that they're torturing but they are using they're using the same logic do you think there's any resentment from talia because of the way her father died with the city or batman i i think that's suggested yes but she smashed but she's mad that was the other thing that was so weird was they smashed and then like later you see him and selena kissing and then at the end him and selena like surviving and i was like what like it was felt so james bond I know Bruce Wayne's, like, a billionaire playboy, but that was just so grimy to me. He usually just has, like, one. He doesn't... I was like, wow, okay. I feel like there's not a lot of um, motivation for Talia to seduce Bruce Wayne. And then, at the end, like, I don't mind, like, Catwoman and Batman getting together. But when there's three minutes left on the bomb and they're making out in the street, I'm like, guys... Guys, I thought Gordon was about to say something. <laughs> I really thought Gordon was about to say something because I was I that that was my exact thought when they said, "All right, three minutes left," and then they they make out for a good five seconds. And it's just like every second counts now, you guys. There's <sighs> way more important things. Like even as a thirteen year old, I was like, "No, no, save that for later." Like, there's not time for this. 
where do we want to go next? I think too much happening transitions nicely because my head hurts now. <laughs> okay. So, David, this was your topic. Where do you want to start? I'll start with Alfred, and then I'll just go through others. To me, this is the saddest portrayal of Alfred and Bruce's relationship. I think they really wanted it to have this dramatic effect, like the way they were kind of distancing themselves and the way the dialogue changed, because Alfred in the first two had this really light banter. He was still parental and he was still able to almost discipline Bruce sometimes with the way Bruce would treat his body, but it was still in a fun kind of way. And in this one, every time Alfred talked to Bruce, it was a lecture. And I was just so confused because that's just not that Michael Caine Alfred we had seen in the other two movies and then he disappears for half of the film and the halfway point he doesn't you literally don't see him for like an hour and then he comes back after Bruce allegedly died and he's just a sniveling mess and it's just like I failed you I failed you and like I give it up to Michael Caine for the performance but I really felt nothing because of the way the whole sequence was written leading up to it and just their relationship in the first half of the film. I just hated it. I also hated everything with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. I thought you could cut. The only reason Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in this movie, I don't know, was Gary Oldman filming another movie at this time? Because like the only reason Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in this movie is because Gary Oldman was not. Like Gary Oldman was in a bed for like 90% of this movie, you could give all of Joseph Gordon-Levitt scenes to Gary Oldman. He actually plays like the role he played in the first two films. I was so confused. Like it really made me think like there was some weird production stuff that he had like to film something else or something happened. It was so perplexing. But yeah, there was just stuff like that. And then some of the Bane sequences, I think directing wise, they shot them a little too heavy handed, like specifically the opening sequence. I know they had a lot to live up to with the Dark Knight, but I think it was a little too obvious the way like there would literally be dialogue and there would still be a close up of a guy like under the hood. And you're like, well, I guess that's the one, right? Like that's the one big bad who snuck in. And then like the big reveal is just dialogue off screen like I could not imagine in Final Draft typing Bane fucking parentheses OS parentheses like compared to the Dark Knight Joker reveal perhaps he's wondering why Superman before flying about to the plane it really blew my mind and then the Joker it's like this beautiful cheese fondue that takes 10 minutes to get to and he pulls off the mask and it's then he has a dialogue and it's a close up and it makes so much sense and it's cinema and I'm like what is this TV movie I'm watching just stuff like that and Catwoman Catwoman was just she didn't even have a character like she was either sneaky or sexy or both but she just did not have a character how do you guys feel I think there was way too many people in this movie I, I think they just should have focused on Batman and 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 Bane and what David said about Robin like I, I guess maybe they thought they were might have continued these movies but Robin being in it, I don't think was necessary at all, or Blake, or Tim Drake, or whatever the hell. Or you could have just, like, I, I hate to say, like, I don't, I don't even think the Tali or Catwoman are necessary after I just said, like, mm-hmm. the, I want to say two movies ago, there were, or even last movie, there were no important women in these movies. 
I, I hate to say that, but, like, I don't... Alfred's not necessary. Yeah, the the breakup, the whole breakup thing... They make Gordon not necessary. necessary. Mm-hmm. And then they try to throw in that weird, like, Gordon, like, flashback, heavy, emotional weight storyline B-plot into the third act, and it's like, anyone could be a hero, even a guy who puts a jacket on a kid and tells him he's alright. I hated that. Because it's not Spider-Man. Bruce? Anyone can't be a hero. You, you were not. It was not dumb luck that a spider came down and bit you, and you became Spider-Man. We spent a whole act in two two movies ago in Batman Begins, seeing exactly why not anyone could just be Batman. He had to train. He went to the League of Shadows. He has money. So it was just so confusing. And he has the money. Like he's a white guy. It's just. It was so. It was wild. It's just every. It felt like there was so many things thrown at, like everything plus the kitchen sink was thrown at it because it was the last one, and they were like, "F it, let's go." Uh, you could have also just got rid of Bane, because you had a villain. You had the perfect trilogy villain. You want to know who the fucking scarecrow? That's who you had. That's who you had. But nope, he. And then he just has that terrible cameo. To the judge cameo. They just couldn't give my boy a break. He was such a good scarecrow. Are you tearing up right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. The more we talk about it, the less I'm liking the movie. A lot of this stuff just wasn't necessary. You could have accomplished the thing, same thing with Bane or Scarecrow being the main and like it being their plot the whole time give them a good reason that's really all you needed for a trilogy and then give them the strong ideals evan was talking about boom you got a beautiful trilogy you can keep it the same stakes if you want because it's citywide you know it's a step up from the dark knight so you know just ugh, they, they put it was too much and i was too much that's really what would have saved bane though like evan said if he just had a strong ideal that he stuck to because it would have been such contrast from joker yeah but making him a race simp and a talia simp did not help him in my eyes i'm here to fulfill Ray's uncle's destiny no man no i don't literally doesn't even understand what he wants to do two movies ago but okay yeah yeah i i agree it would have been better to not make him part of the league of shadows I, i've never like had a problem with that but now that you're mentioning it i I think it does kind of weaken it obviously if you're gonna bring talia in i I guess canonically she's just always ra's al ghul's daughter yeah but she didn't so i guess you'd have to mention him she didn't need to be in this at all like they didn't need to bring back the league of shadows plot because that's pretty much they're just fulfilling what the first movie was doing like why move on from the league of shadows in the first movie take a movie take a movie break to talk about the Joker and Harvey Dent and then bring back the League of Shadows in the trilogy. Like, that doesn't make sense. I agree. Yeah, me too. Because we haven't even talked about that yet, but that's the other part that really messes with this is, like, all of Gordon is the Harvey Dent stuff. And it's like, it feels like that was swept under the rug and that's why he's in the bed. And it's like, Mm -hmm. we get sprinkles of that and scenes and they're really melodramatic and he's explosive and he's like i hope you have a friend who will you know take the fall for you like that and then i'm just like this is this is wild because like it just feels 
it has too much going on because it's trying to satisfy both movies but i had to pick one and i really don't think it needed to satisfy anything from batman begins i think that was a true clean one-off and if you had to pick i think you really could have left harvey dent in the past i think the audience would have been content with how that story yeah. ended but if you really felt you needed to bring that in then you need to like really dive deep and find something that's going to make that breathe because i don't know what's there that's going to make someone want to sit through like a two and a half hour action drama about this just use the scarecrow please reeves i would love if reeves used a scarecrow or freeze or, or bane a, a good bane a better bane than this one that we can clearly hear and has a i think bane is hispanic i think he yeah yes he has a Hispanic accent. He's a wrestler. I'm so excited for what Reeves will do. And I'll talk about, again, we'll, we'll talk about my topic because I, I mentioned the Reeves Batman as well. Too much. Too much. Too many new people and not enough care to go around for any of them for me. And apparently Daggett is a not a big villain, but he is a Batman villain. I think I watched and it was in Nostalgia Critic or somebody else's. I think I... I forget whose videos I watched, but he um he was a dude in the comics as well, and he's just a whiny whiny guy. He's been he's played by Ben Mendelsohn, and he's whining in most of his scenes. So that's fun. The football scene was cool though. It was cool, and even as much as like. There's a lot of stuff in the opening scene I don't like. Just the sheer spectacle of seeing a plane get hijacked always satisfies me. Like, that's always fun. I'm like, wow, that was cool. Yeah, and it's all practical effects and stuff. It's it's pretty dope. And Bane, like, climbing down the plane and landing on the dudes beneath when he, like, slams down on the seats. That looks so cool. It's very, very satisfying. It feels like something that should be in a Mission Impossible film. Hmm. It does feel like Mission Impossible. Oh, that was Baelish. I found him. Yes. Yeah, it was right there in the yep, beginning. Yep. I found him. CIA. I forgot to mention it at the beginning. I didn't put that in my notes for some reason. But I... Ex where was his mustache and accent? If I take that mask off... Oh, gosh. Will you die? I really... It will be extremely painful. Why are you... You're a big guy. Doing. For your own little finger. How often do you practice Baelish? I hate that. I hate what you're doing with that. Oh, you you should hear Mason's Baelish. He loves Littlefinger. I don't <laughs> like the way he talks. Did you guys have more on that? Because I have some responses to a, a couple of things you guys said. But if you're defending uh, it, if, I'm going to attack you, you some more. Okay, um, I, I am going to defend it a little <laughs> uh, more so. More so against, uh, I'm more so pushing back against a couple things David said. A, a lot of the comic accuracy stuff, like, I, I'm, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. One thing that I want to push back on a bit is what you said about Alfred David. Because you're saying, like, oh, he's not as supportive in this. And that's true. But take into account that there's context there. Because it's been eight years since the events of The Dark Knight. Bruce has just apparently been moping around Wayne Manor for eight years. So I, I think Alfred being not supportive of him, he, I, first of all, I think it is support. I, I think he really is keeping Bruce's best interests in mind. By leaving? And 
Yes. You I, I so here I stand by that. So here here's go, go ahead and refute. You me. Know, here's a I just wanted to give you an analogy again that I saw in a video Wesley. I'm tired of sitting around and watching you kill yourself and or helping you kill yourself, so I'm gonna leave so you can continue to kill yourself. It's like telling your child that keeps jumping off the roof and you keep catching them. I'm tired of watching you try to kill yourself, so I'm going to look away while you try and kill yourself. And then the child jumps off and kills himself. It makes no fucking sense. I'm going to push back against that as well, because Bruce Wayne is an adult. Is he? Yeah, well, okay, he doesn't always behave like an adult, but he is. And I think Alfred is basically telling him, grow up. I know you can see that being Batman is destroying you. And you're doing this willingly. So this is my last card I can play. Is is to leave. And not endorse this anymore. Because you're going to destroy yourself. I think Alfred is doing the right thing there. Even if it's ultimately like kind of leaving Bruce hanging. Bruce wouldn't get the message if not. And apparently he still doesn't. But the fact that Alfred tries I think is... It's still admirable. It's still being supportive in its own way. I think he has very strong sidekick energy in that sense. And it's not it's not a traditional thing that we see sidekicks do. And he's doing it very unselfishly. And in fairness, to like agree with you a bit, Jelani, if Batman did need Alfred's help in that way, where like in your analogy, he did need someone to keep catching him, then that would be fair. Like, if he was still being Batman actively and had been for the past few years and Alfred was just like, no, now I'm out, that might be different. But I think it's pretty clear, at least the way that Alfred articulates it, that Bruce just has a death wish to, like, go out as Batman. And Alfred is cautioning him against that as strongly as he can. So I I hear your criticism, I'm not trying to completely invalidate it because I think there's merit. There's like a lot of merit to it. Don't agree with me. Um, We're disagreeing. Well, I'm not fully agreeing with you. I, I, I'm just I'm acknowledging that like you're making a valid point, but I I still am on board for what Alfred is doing. It's still in character and it is still supportive of Bruce Wayne. It's just that now he needs a different kind of support. My only like kind of gripe with it is. With Alfred, like, from the writing level, because with that one scene, I agree, in that one scene when Bruce is like, I'm going to become Batman again, and Alfred's like, this time, I'm not, I'm already out. Like, it's kind of like in, like, the Oceans movie, where it's like, are we going to get the band back together? Like, there's always that one character who's like, ah, I'm out. Like, I've had, he's a little older, he's like, I'm out, I had my fun, it's good, we're done. And that's Alfred, like, he doesn't want to get back in the mess. So he's just being real and he's like, I'm out. And if you're going to go and kill yourself, I'm not going to be around to watch. I agree with that. In that scene, that feels right. But it's the scenes before where the banter is gone. It's straight lecturing. It just feels like a different character in there. And it is eight years difference. It's always felt like a weird choice to me, especially because the movie literally came out four years later. So which when movies do that, that always like I remember as a kid being like, it's 2012, but this would be 2016. What is 2016 going to be like? <laughs> and then 2016 happened, and we were like, oh, shit. 
literally and like with back to the future part two it's like that's 2015 i'm like okay so what's 2015 gonna be like so there's like whenever that happens in a movie i kind of get taken out and i think about stuff like that too but that that's just one thing where i wish we would have had at least one scene so we could ease into that transition but it was immediate like because he hadn't been batman he had there has not been a batman sighting in eight years so i would expect like maybe a little empathy from alfred i'm sure he probably gave eight years worth of empathy but i just wanted to see a little bit of it before he was just like bruce you trash that's fair because i i agree like i i still defend like the context that i was bringing up but to your point, yes, we don't see that support in this one. Like, if you, I think you can actually kind of watch these movies separate from each other. This one less so than the other two, for sure. But there's, there's enough self-contained in this that you could probably go into this fresh without having seen the other two and be okay. And if that's the case, then you only see Alfred in that context. So I, I think that is a, something that is missing here. And given how long the movie is, they, they had time for a scene like that. Where's the, I'll let you borrow the rules. Just bring it back with a full tank of gas. Where's that at? Where Where's the love between them, Evan? Hmm? It's there. No. I, I, I say it's still there. But I, I think those are, those are fair points you guys brought up. Did we have more on uh, Alfred there? Because I had a couple other things to bring up here. Oh, no, that's everything for me. Okay. I was thinking about this also in comparison. We already brought up Spider-Man 3, and I think that's a fair comparison because that's another end of a trilogy that goes all over the place. Another one I was thinking of, the other trilogy that we've covered, is At World's End for Pirates. And I was thinking about why does this work so much better for me than Pirates 3? And I came up with two possible answers. One is that I think there's more internal logic here. There are logic holes. But when we covered Pirates 3, we didn't even really, like, dive... I mean, we tried a little bit. We, we pointed out some holes, as I recall, of, like, what is... Where does this deal go? Uh, apparently it goes nowhere, but, like, that knot has so many loose ends that it's basically impossible to figure out. This one... It's a little cleaner. There's still logic issues, but it is less confusing, I think. The other thing that I think sets it apart is that it stays true to the returning characters. We've been talking about how Bane and Talia have kind of odd motivations that don't always really check out. But in terms of, re of returning characters, I think they are staying true to who we what we've seen from them in the previous two movies which is not true of pirates 3 the the main character's motivations go all over the place in that otherwise like i think there's a lot of things in this that don't need to be there and we, we've already brought up a lot of them so i won't go over it again I, I think a lot of this like you could keep a similar plot it just is very inefficient mostly the first act with the whole clean slate and the stock exchange hit, like, that just takes just a lot longer than it needs to. And same with, like, the themes of the, the income inequality. Like, I think they were trying to do some, like, commentary on the Occupy Wall Street movement that was happening at the time, which I'm not super knowledgeable about, but I know that was very, like, of the moment. That said, I think this does conclude Bruce Wayne's arc pretty well. 
Like, if you believe that he survives at the end, I think it does conclude his arc very nicely where he does find a life after Batman, where he's able to, you know, serve his city, keep Gotham safe, but also he's going to be okay without Batman now, if you believe that he survives at the end. It's not a perfect balance, and, you know, I, I still think there's a better way for him to find that balance between giving of himself and also, you know, keeping his sanity. But there's a lot about this that works, and I'm still here for the final moment when Alfred sees him at the cafe. I, I understand if other people aren't, but I like it. So I think that is a strength of this, despite other things that go all over the place. Last thing with this topic, a couple hours ago, I was on a Zoom call with some other people, and this movie happened to actually come up along with Pirates 3. And shout-outs to uh, Angel, because he said I could quote him on this. He suggested that they could split this movie into two parts, maybe. Oh, no. And that might be better. Why are we always splitting the third movie into two parts with series didn't a bunch of ya movies do that yeah it was kind of timely yeah it started with harry potter and then it bled into like all of them twilight hunger games divergent i think that did it yeah Uh, and uh maze runner did they do it i don't know if maze runner did it i never watched those and now i mean in fairness we are kind of having a resurgence of that with dune and then Mission Impossible, and even Across the Spider-Verse. I'm here for that, but I'm also psyched for all three of those movies. I don't know that you necessarily would have had to call this The Dark Knight Rises Part 1 and Part 2, but I think it's a fair point that, like, you could have a pretty clean cutoff in this movie if, like, you end it with Bane throwing Batman in the pit and... They should have called it The Dark Nightfall. See? That's clean. Mm. The Dark Nightfall, because it's based off of Nightfall. That would be a pretty good title. There it is. David, you're quiet. You gotta praise the title, too. So, (laughs) would it be The Dark Nightfall, or, like, The Dark Knight Falls, and then they would get the fourth or The Dark Knight Rises? The fourth would be The Dark Knight Rises. The third would be The Dark Nightfall. That's one word. Not The Dark Nightfalls. But, like... That would also, it's a, it's a bar because it's like playing off of The Dark Knight Rises as well because that's the fourth movie. So it's like, it's oh, it's close to The Dark Knight Falls, but not quite because Nightfall, The Dark Nightfall, because it's paying homage to the, to the comics. Yeah, I mean, I hate this reality where we split movies in half because it's like we have to paint like, if we took the scenes that comprised like the film that was given to us and it's like okay and then we took that split and then put them into that film it's like oh my god we have to paint like 80 percent of each of these other films now and it's like the headcanon of course will be fantastic but i don't know if that's what we would have gotten considering what we actually got yeah i i think there's a way to make two good movies out of the content of this one but i think there's also a world where you can have a much cleaner third movie that does everything that this is trying to do and just is more efficient and more cohesive. Oh, Avengers did it too. Yeah. And The Hobbit. I can't believe we forgot The Hobbit on that equation. Well, I can't believe it. I believe I forgot it. I think it's an interesting solution to split it in two parts. I'm not sure if it would have been better. And I don't think Nolan would have necessarily agreed to a fourth movie, but... It might have been a better way 
to approach this movie. Use Scarecrow. That's the better way to approach it. That's it. Then we wouldn't get Bane, though. The Scarecrow's so cool. And they didn't use him right. They never used him right. I'm not even that big of a of a fan of Sar- Scarecrow in the comics, but when you have him and you don't use him, like, bro, what are you doing? I just think the concept of him is interesting because of the whole fear gas thing. Like, you can do so much with that. And they, they didn't. They never did. Like, Scarecrow... A lot of Batman's villains are intelligent, so a lot of them were capable of what Bane did in this movie, except physically breaking him, but they could have mentally broke Batman. Like, Scarecrow using fear grass could have mentally broke Batman. Not physically breaking him. Or have somebody physically break him. I mean, I don't know, man. So your approach to this would have just been, like, basically scrap most of the ideas of this and just start fresh with either Scarecrow or a completely different Batman villain. Yes. Oh, yeah. If I had to get my pitch, I've always had wanted this since I was a kid. After The Dark Knight, I was like, I want the next movie to be The Riddler because I wanted to see what Chris Nolan could do with The Riddler. That would have been clean, too. I was just thinking of his intelligent villains with crazy ideals. So, yeah. And then we, we might have gotten a different um, a different villain for The Batman, Cause right, because we already would have that Riddler, so we could have already went into like a, a rebirth of Scarecrow or Calendar Man or Mr. Freeze, Freeze, Court of Owls, which apparently is the next one. Ooh, oh, I can't wait. I remember thinking Court of Owls was just freaky but cool as hell. I, I was reading, I don't know, I was watching YouTube videos on those. That's normally how I got most of my comic book knowledge. I know that sounds blasphemous, but comic story and shout out to you yeah no those court of owls them being in the secret society and all wearing those masks and having the talons that were just as strong and skilled as batman and there was more than one that's all under like the city it gets scary you're like this turns into a horror thing yep and you don't know who to trust because you don't know you don't you don't know those people under the mask and they're Mm -hmm. ruthless every one of them it's crazy it's crazy. Do we want to move into your topic on the accuracy to the source material, Jelani? The Dark Nightfall. You can pay me my in in royalties. Time you say that. Trademark it. Yeah. So, Bay is an idiot. He's not an idiot, and I'm glad this movie didn't continue that narrative. I watched a what culture video. I always you guys. I've been watching a lot of um, videos on this the movies we're doing just so I have a better understanding of what I watched. Um, so I'm always trying to credit what I watched. Um, I watched a what, what, what culture video that said he was portrayed as an idiot in like, uh, or like a, yeah, just mindless thing in Batman Forever, the Arkham games, and the animated series. I never watched the animated series, so I guess I'll have to take their word on that. And the 90s movie, oh yeah, you said Batman Forever, I liked. Yeah, uh, with um, Uma Thurman. The biggest difference, though, as David and I have mentioned, is that he didn't have his venom. There was no mention of it. I believe part of Bane's backstory and character is his struggle with the addicting drug. Rather than have some of the extra stuff they have in this movie, like a bunch of characters, they could have had something about the struggle of power with venom or something. I, I don't know. They don't pay me to write this. You know... 
just going off something I heard someone on this call say recently, thinking about a venomous substance that could be an import to the city that could be used to poison the city. I wonder what other supervillain in the Nolan trilogy could have wanted to acquire such a thing. I'll ponder that. Joker. Scarecrow. Scarecrow. God damn it. You could have put both of them in this movie. Scarecrow already has a bit of an establishment. You throw Bane in there, they're working together. It shows maybe it takes two minds to take down the Batman and run the city or whatever the hell. But, get, man, look, I'm done. I don't want to talk about that. I know in the Batman, the Reeves movie, in the climax, Batman uses some green substance that gives him strength and makes him violent. And Catwoman has to stop him, I believe. I've only seen it once. It's a three-hour movie, so it's going to be a while before I see it again. People believe this is Venom, and I think it is too. Um, which means Bane could be possible in the Reeves run. Maybe. Down the line. I hope we don't see him soon. Because there's other Batman villains. I, I don't want to keep seeing the same Batman villains. I wouldn't be mad if he did Scarecrow, but Court of Owls? That's something we have yet to see live action ever. So that would be... Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, in the comics, Bane didn't have a connection to the League of Shadows. I don't like that addition at all in this movie. Another thing, which I didn't know, but this movie, kind of out of whack for it, Bane cared about innocent lives. Crazy, right? In the comics, Bane cared about innocent lives. This is another big difference. Like, at one point, Batman said he and Bane share the same value of the lives of innocents. Like, at one point in the comics, they teamed up to rescue an innocent little girl from somebody. I don't know who, but... I was going to ask, because I was, I, I was getting in my mind little girl. I was like, isn't it like he's biased to, like, children or something? But that makes sense, yeah, when they say the little girl. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely... I feel like that's never, ever been carried over to any movie version or game version. He's always just, nope. like, a brute. Nope. Or a gangster. Which he kind of is. I'd rather them lean more on the gangster side because most of Batman's villains are gangsters and I kind of love that about the city or his, his gallery is that Penguin, Riddler, Harvey, Joker, you name them. They all have goons. Freeze. I don't know why these people work for these maniacs, but it is what it is. And then I was saying before the, uh, the Dark Knight fall, maybe add an S in parentheses or something because without the S there, it does sound kind of weird the dark but like i could also see like if in an alternate universe where nolan said yes and made it a four movie deal he could have made it like the dark knight comma fall and everyone would have been like oh oh in the space this is crazy they're doing the comic and he's like <laughs> oh it's so artsy i put a comment in the title yeah yeah so the closest batman story this is is, is nightfall that's no surprise where Bane breaks out Arkham's worst criminals. I'm just going to give you a quick summary here because I was watching the quick summary. Bane breaks out uh, Arkham's worst criminals and forces Batman forces Batman to beat them one by one. That's like an easy connection if someone's looking to adapt to work to like connect Scarecrow if we were doing that headcanon. That, yeah, and, and once, he comes, once he comes face to face with Scarecrow and Joker... They get him with fear gas and force him to relive. Well, they could have made it something else, like maybe the death of his parents or something. But in the comics, it's relive the death of the second Robin, Jason Todd, who becomes Red Hood, one of my favorites. When he returns home, Bane breaks him. He's waiting for him. He's like, welcome home, uh, bat bitch. And then he breaks his back. And Batman is replaced for a time by another vigilante who takes up his mantle, Azrael. I think it's John... 
John Paul Valley, uh, who beats Bane, then he becomes like super violent and hyper violent towards criminals. And Batman's like, all right, you got to stop. And then Batman beats him and takes the mantle back. They easily could have adapted this story for this. And the, and the fact that Scarecrow is the one that mentally breaks Batman before Bane physically breaks him. Like they had it right there. It, it was written for them already. That's why I'm they thinking, like, if they wanted to even do a closer adaptation and you could just remove all of the Jason Todd stuff and replace that with, like, the guilt and the grief for Harvey Dent and Rachel. Yeah. And it's just, like, it works perfectly. Have Bane bust Scarecrow out. That's your big opening scene spectacle. Oh, that would have been It could have been, like, yeah. the prison guard. It would have been fire. Yeah. There was a lot of other options. We don't need Talia. We don't need Robin. We don't need Catwoman. Now I want to see that movie, David. Why'd you do that? That sounds like a good rewrite. In slight defense of this, I do really like Catwoman and Blake and even Talia to an extent. You just like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm not denying that. That's certainly part of it, but I like the other two as well. And he's just, I don't know, he's just good going around in this movie. Like, even if when he doesn't have a lot to do, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. All three of those actors are excellent. I'm not denying that. But... Yeah, I'm coming just for the characters. They're acting. Yeah. And that's fair. That's fair enough. But, like, you you had, you had have three pretty damn solid actors here, giving maybe not their absolute best performance, but they're nope. bringing their A-game not, in this. Not with their death scenes. Okay, yeah. Aside from uh, Marion Cotillard's... Yeah. death performance i think she's pretty good in this but yeah she's she's a lot better in inception they had a better movie this movie was not the worst i've ever seen mm-hmm. but we it was there and they didn't do it i don't know who could have taken up the mantle while he was gone maybe the point was that he, nobody took up the mantle while he was gone because nobody actually did um in this movie which i was fine with which just made it it's made it seem more desperate for him to get back which i kind of liked well, I think the point is partly that the legacy of Harvey Dent makes it unnecessary for Batman to be around because now the streets are apparently clean for the past eight years. I think that was kind of their justification for it. But that's also fair that, like, you know, nobody else decided... Because there were Batman imitators in The Dark Knight, and we don't see any of them in this. Hockey pads. Yeah, no hockey pads. Yeah, I mean... Now I want to see the movie David and I pitched. Oh, we won't get it. Maybe Reeves will do it. Give Scarecrow is just dessert. Just just dudes. Just just adapt him properly, please. Because he could just be so terrifying. Oh, man. A horror Batman? Like, they, they want to keep making Batman dark. You Scarecrow, right? You got your dark Batman right there. Yeah. Uh, that's all I had. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to say anything else on source material. Obviously, content-wise, this strays a ton from the comic, but I will say it was cool to see that moment play out in a film, to see the actual him lifting Batman and snapping him over his knee. Like, that was such an iconic visual. It's so striking whenever you see the comic in person. It's like, oh my god, because how often do you see a comic where the hero of the comic is just getting completely wrecked. So as you just are like, I have to read that. I was expecting more of a Ben to In his, the film? Uh, yeah, because yeah. it just looked like he plopped him, and I just heard, like, it's the like armor a bloop, shatter. Bloop. Yeah. yeah. 
He drops like, on the knee and it goes down. Your spirit or your body and just lets him go and lets him fall on his knee. That's what it felt like. Not a back break, but... Um, yeah. Oh, I was wondering what would break first. Your spirit or your body? I definitely agree with that. I think a lot of the action throughout this entire trilogy is kind of lacking. The direction and the action is a little... And Batman Begins, you could not make out what's happening. Dark no. Knight, mm-hmm. all of the B- Joker Batman scenes are like, it feels like Power Rangers. And it even feels like Power Rangers <laughs> sometimes when Batman's <laughs> fighting Bane. And I'm just like, oh God. Because, yeah, that is, in the comic, it's like, he literally is like snapped in half. But, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think Nolan's starting to get better at action in this one, though. Like, I, I agree. I think he's... For as much action movies as he's directed, I think it's taken him a while to get good at it. Tenet, I think he's shown that he's come a long way and he's like actually figured out how to do pretty good fight scenes. I think the Bane versus Batman fights in this are like it shows a fair amount of growth for him directing action from begins to this oh 100 because it begins you truly like cannot make out what's happening and you will just get nauseous why did it take batman how long was he in santa prisca or pena pena dura i couldn't tell the, you i feel pe- like it was less than a month though right the bomb couldn't have been there for that long no the bomb i think is there for like five months so i, I think batman is probably i, I think mathematically he's there basically the whole time because he's like i think as soon as the bomb is taken out is pretty much when he gets there so yeah okay well i think it's five months why did it take him five months to figure out he needed to punch bane in the mask defend that evan well it doesn't it takes him five months to even be in a position to punch bane in the mask a second time he never punched him in the mask the first time yeah, so he learns from the first fight. It's just that the next round wasn't until five months later. I think he figured that like, out. Where was he punching him? That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, and but I think that's part of what Alfred is like, kind of cautioning him against. He's like, look at this dude. He's fresh. He's in shape. Well, kind of. But like, he's fighting hard. You're a little out of it. Maybe, maybe hold off on fighting him, and then Batman gets his ass kicked. Because he doesn't punch the dude in the glowing weak spot on his face. I do really like the fight between them when he comes back to Gotham, though, at the end. That's a great brawl. Really? I think so. I really like it when Bane punches the pillar. And, like, there's some there's some fairly long takes in that. I it's... showed you the raid. How can you say that after watching the first one? I'm not saying it's better than the raid. No, I know that. It's but... still a fun fight scene. No, that, was, that and they both it, that and the like one where he breaks and both give me big Power Ranger vibes. <laughs> Maybe I just haven't seen Power Rangers to compare that to, but the I film I love fire. It. Oh my god, Mighty Morphin. Yeah, yeah, that's my shoes. I still have the but it's also a grudge match, which is fun. It's not wrestling, even though he is a luchador, but they didn't make him look like a luchador in this. But they have, like, it's a rematch. So, you came back to die with your city. No, I came back to stab you. (laughs) I need you to redo the whole film. (laughs) Please don't. I gotta see, are there other good Bane lines I haven't done yet? I like the one in the beginning where he's like, 
I forget what he says to the guy where he's like, stop panicking, that comes later. Now's not the time for fear, Doctor. That comes later. Yeah, that's fun. No, they expect one of us in the wreckage, brother. I like the power speech he gives to Mendelssohn. In control. In charge. Yeah. I'm Gotham's reckoning. Unnecessary evil. Or the football stadium where he starts like, what a lovely, lovely voice. And he walks out, take control. Take control of your city. Take it back from the corrupt. Oh, yeah. His voice cracks a couple of times. That's amazing. <laughs> Take it back from the corrupt. <laughs> this is Gotham's hero. Harvey Dent. The awe. Batman did not kill Harvey Dent. He saved my boy. Oh, my God. He's reading the letter. But I can no longer live with my life. <laughs> It is time for Gotham to know the truth! And do you accept this man's resignation? He got so Alright, I think I got him. enough out there. He did. He got progressively he mad. Was like, what the fuck? How dare you resign? <laughs> the police will survive. Oh, I have too much fun doing that. I apologize. What is your technique? You use a Pringles can, you cover your mouth. What do you I'm covering my mouth for this. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you always have to have it at the ready. It'd be crazy if you were just always carrying around like an empty Pringles can for your bane impression. Yo, when yeah when <laughs> when masking though. first became like a thing that we did, I was like, everyone who wears a mask should be allowed to do a bane voice. You'll get everyone to mask. It's also was, their weakness, I coincidentally. The opposite. I was like, think about how many people wore masks and no one did Bane voices. Like, Oh, I did? Are you well, fucking try, kidding? Trust me, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Nobody cared who I was until I put on the mask. But, like, I feel like if the government told us all to paint our faces white and wear, like, purple coats or dye our hair green, there'd be a lot of people being like, why so serious? Yeah. Well, people already dress up as the Joker. Coincidentally, everybody's mask uh, was also their weak point. So, That's you know, true. we all figured that out together, but Batman didn't. And we figured it out without having to go to the pit. Yep. Evan, you didn't do the uh, Born in the Darkness one. Oh, yeah, you didn't do that. You like think darkness one. will be your ally? I was born in it. Molded by it. It was years before I saw the light, but then it was nothing to me but blinding. Oh my god. <laughs> you even got the infliction he does on Polindy when he punches him. That's amazing. Dude, when I tell you that I know every line that Fane does, I mean it. Why? Because it's so fun. If are, are we done with source material? Yeah. Yeah, I asked you guys to come up with creative takeaways, uh, just taking a look at the whole trilogy. We can do a couple of, like, fun takeaways as well. I imagine you guys came up with some of those, too. But I did I did want all of us to try to come up with, like, one creative lesson to take from all three of these movies. Go out with so, the bang, get it? <laughs> yep, I mean, that does work. I don't know if that makes this movie good, but... Because of the bomb? Yeah, yeah, I got it. David? There is a bomb. <laughs> is is that your lesson though, Jelani? That's I had two. 
Okay. What, what's your other one? Don't connect your third movie villain to the first in a simping light. One of mine kind of attaches to that. Go ahead. Well, do you want to elaborate on that first, Jelani? Not really. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why connect your third movie villain to the first and make him simp for his whole well, plan? That doesn't well, make Bane. You... That doesn't really give Bane his own identity if he's just following the orders of some dude that excommunicated him. Wait, that's another thing. Dude kicked him out, and he was like, I still gotta do this Destiny thing. And he says, I am the League of Shadows. Yeah. I'm here to fulfill Rosalgoon's destiny. <laughs> there, there it is. Yeah. That's it. Go ahead, David. Well, my thing is, to anyone who has watched Scream 3, once we get to the third Scream, it's all about trilogies. And one of the lines, the jokes that they make that Randy, the guy who is like, supposed to be the most meta who watches films and kind of is able to convey to the audience what's happening if they're not getting it subtextually says that in all trilogies you go back to the beginning and something that you thought was like a certain way no longer is dark knight rises has it star wars has it i'm sure lord of the rings has it if i went back and rewatched it and it's just something that I guess is ingrained in us and ingrained in how we tell trilogies. And I really do think there is a lesson here to writers that it's okay once you've learned the rules to stray for them and break them. Spider-Man because, uh, did it too. Yeah, Spider-Man did it as well. And yeah, with uh, Uncle Ben's killer, right? Yeah, Sandman yeah. and even the green... James Franco and all the goblin thing, stuff. yeah. Mm-hmm. And finding out, you killed my father. This is not how I thought it happened. Oh, but wait, my father killed himself. This is a double, not how I thought it happened. And it's just like... <laughs> so it's just something... Somehow we like stories that way. And it's okay to break the rules. Because I think if Nolan wasn't so... Adhering to that so strictly, we maybe would have had something that felt a little bit better because it really does feel so just kind of pointless to have any of the League of Shadow stuff in this film. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's a, that's a good call. You know, both of your connected points there. Cause I think a a reason that maybe this is a somewhat more highly regarded trilogy than some others is that each installment can stand on its own a little better than a lot of other trilogies i think this movie is less that's less true of rises than the other two but i think it's it's still possible i i know i mean i didn't ask him about it because it's been such a long time but my dad came and saw rises with me and my brother without having seen the other two and i guess he wasn't lost i was just gonna say did you ask him I, I didn't bother because I know he he also doesn't like rewatching things for some reason. So nice. I, I'm pretty sure he's never seen this since then and probably forgot all of it. Did you guys have any other lessons? My second lesson kind of ties into that. How I think there is something to take away from a trilogy or really any film series, even if it's just two films, where they each can stand on their own because it's very it's really rare to me that people are like, ooh, the second film is my favorite, and so many people say The Dark Knight's their favorite, and then also having a second film that can stand on its own, and The Dark Knight does both of those things. So I think, and like you said with Batman Begins, it also stands on its own, and to a certain extent, 
I think, like you said, there's enough content. It's so long that I think The Dark Knight Rises can stand on its own, even if it doesn't withstand enough rewatches because you can start to poke holes. It doesn't sustain that. But for a first watch through, I think it's enough to just be like, okay, this is a whole self-contained story. These characters are in a completely different place, completely different time, blah, 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 blah. And there is some charm to that. And I think that is another, like, that's a rule, I think, as I was saying my other point about it's okay to break rules. That's a rule I think he probably broke because that's something that I feel like is usually frowned upon in trilogies. Like, you want to see the connective tissue and... It's when he's tried to show that connective tissue that that started to, like, kind of hurt him. And the fact that he was able to give distinctive films, even though it was in a whole overarching story, I think is impressive. And I think if you're able to do that, that's something really to be proud of. And this was also, I mean, this came out the same year as Avengers did. So it was right in that last moment before every studio was trying to jump on how do we connect our properties together mm-hmm. and like link everything and make everything connected with where like now we see where the mcu is at 10 years later with every character that comes in was referenced in some post credits something five exactly. years before or whatever and this was kind of like the last moment really before that really took off when this came out and there's a lot of charm to it because it's like each person has their own favorite for me it's dark knight i can drop into dark knight whenever i want my nolan batman fix and after that two hours and some change i'm satisfied it's a great film it's a great story and i'm completely happy can i do that with a lot of the you know generation three four five marvel movies tv shows i don't think so no i just saw like the ending of the Endgame on TNT either, I think it was yesterday or the day before. I was like, this is all I needed. This this, this, this action scene. I don't need to rewatch most of these movies. Mm-hmm. I think in, in that sense, like, these are a, I mean, there's some people who are like, Marvel stuff is basically all they watch, but I think for a lot of people who are less, like, super on that Marvel train, this is a bit of a more beloved series than like any individual MCU movie. And maybe it is because like there is a little bit more care put into each one as like, we're going to make this one good as opposed to Mm. we need to set up Ant-Man three. Right. As like the main priority. Right. And I think it's fair. Like I, I'm not sure that anyone would be able to come up with a legitimate argument that The Dark Knight is not the best of this trilogy. I certainly can't, but I also stand by calling Rise as my favorite, and I think it would be fine. Like, I wouldn't argue with somebody who says, Batman Begins is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the best thing about the trilogy, is, like, Mm. I think everybody... Because I know someone who likes each one as their favorite, and they like each one for different reasons. And that's great. Especially in a world where the critiques in a lot of superhero films nowadays is that the tone is too universal, mainly because there's one huge studio that's making them. Mm. Like a meat factory. Thor 4 was mid. Yep. Did you guys have other lessons? Those are my two. I only had two. I have two as well. One is smaller, which is that 
if you have something cool or fun, it's okay to indulge in it a little bit. Make the bat pod turn a gratuitous number of times. I think it only does it like four times in the whole series, which is not enough. It does it like twice say. in this movie. I think it's. I think there's three times. I think there's once in the opening, or not the opening, the uh, first chase where Batman is chasing after um, Bane's motorcycle. Oh, guys. this Catwoman does it, does it twice. There's two in like a twenty second interval, I think. She and they're both they're both so awesome. Like it doesn't just turn. She like does a one eighty and like spins oh, yeah. around and then there's another one she goes off a jump and then lands and it spins oh, over. Yeah. It's I can't hate a movie with those shots in it. They're just too good. But you know, outside of the bat pod too, like the bat is also really cool. And there's some other like fun things. Oh, I was that... wondering what you were talking about. You mean the helicopter thing? Yeah. Yeah, that thing. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I think this movie certainly is too long. But even in the sections that could be shorter, I'm still entertained. Like, it's still a good time to watch Catwoman, like, beat up Ben Mendelsohn and his thugs and stuff. That's still entertaining. Even if it doesn't really need to be there or need to stay around as long as it does. Like, I think that is a strength of this movie. It's why it is probably my favorite, because I just enjoy it the most, even if it's not the cleanest. My bigger lesson is show us consequences for characters' actions. I think this is mostly for the second and third movie, and we see it done well in a lot of places, but there's also a couple where it's not. So throughout the entire run of The Dark Knight, Characters make a lot of choices that do not have easy answers. We kind of talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but there's some choices that are made that, you know, Batman decides to let the Joker live at the one point. Is that the right call? Maybe, maybe not. But we get to see exactly what happens because he doesn't. So that at least lends some kind of weight to it. Same with mostly into this movie, there's a lot of consequences from the Dark Knight that carry over. The biggest one is we see what happens because Gordon and Batman have decided to perpetuate this lie of Harvey Dent. The result of that is basically every criminal in Gotham is in prison. I mean, I don't like to support mass incarceration, but this movie kind of paints that as good. So we can say, like, there's a consequence of that action. Same with We see consequences of Alfred burning Rachel's letter. We see the consequences of Bruce shutting himself in for eight years and, you know, not going out as Batman anymore. Like, maybe the city doesn't need Batman anymore. But now Bruce is, like, he's just moping around Wayne Manor. So there's a consequence there. The other big one that I think it does well is Alfred burning Rachel's letter. He keeps that secret from Bruce for eight years. And is that the right call? Maybe, maybe not. But we see how it ends up. Which is that Bruce basically holds on to this idea that he just has to keep being Batman forever. The biggest example of where we don't see consequences, and this is probably my biggest frustration with Rises, is revealing the truth about how Harvey Dent died. I was having fun with doing Bane's speech about that earlier, and I do love it, but I don't like where that is placed. I don't like the timing, because 
at that point, the city is already basically taken hostage. We don't really get to see any impact of that revelation outside of Blake basically just saying, oh, shame on you to Gordon for doing that. And it's never brought up again. I really wish they had revealed that before Bane took over the city somehow. And then we get to see what the consequences of a more normally functioning Gotham are. What are the people's reaction to that kind of revelation that is basically like the peace that they've had in the city is based on a lie. I think that would have been a really interesting thing to explore and it kind of robs us of that. Yeah, I've never thought of that because with that I've always focused on... I've only seen it twice now, so I completely forgot about it. And it's so offhandedly thrown away in dialogue at the beginning, but like Gordon's consequence is just off screen years prior with like his family leaving him. And I'm just like, I wish we would have seen that and whatever, but it is what it is. But now that you bring that up, I definitely agree. I think we would have had such a bigger impact on an audience just to see because what does it mean that your police is corrupt when you don't have a police anymore like you've gone into anarchy like it doesn't matter like Mm -hmm. who cares but at that point if you did it earlier like you're saying when the police still mattered but harvey dent still mattered when they were saying when gordon joseph gordon levitt's character said things like you know i'll try to gordon because how clean you got those how clean you and dent cleaned up these streets for us which is crazy to me that eight years, eight years have gone by and there's been no crime. Like if it was like a year later, but like eight years, like that's crazy. Two terms of a president have gone by and there's been no crime in a major city in America. That's wild. Because of especially what two guys Gotham. did. The worst of the worst. I know, especially Gotham, the worst crime ridden city in America. That always like confused me. But in fairness, now the crime is like underground in the sewers with Bane. It's just less blatant. Whereas in the first two movies, you have Falcone, you know, running the city like it's his, and the police are helping him more than they're trying to stop him. But in fairness, like, you know, is that better? That's a fair question to bring up. Did they really eradicate crime, or did they just kind of make a veneer of having eradicated crime? You mean the fake teeth? Uh, sure. (laughs) Anyway, I think that is a good thing to take from this movie is that, like, if you're going to... Because it is really interesting, and I think not enough movies do this. I know I certainly don't do it enough in my writing, is to, like, force characters into difficult choices. That can be really compelling, but part of the deal that you're making with the audience there is that if you're going to do that, whether you label the choice they make as good or bad i think is less important than showing us what happens because they make that choice like that is kind of a contract that i think you write with the audience and for the most part this trilogy does hold to it even with i think this is kind of a example where it kind of does it well and kind of doesn't is bruce deciding not to flood the bomb chamber and trust Miranda with it. I don't love the way that, like, the consequences come about for that because Bruce basically is just unlucky in that he happens to trust the person who is trying to sabotage him. I mean, I guess maybe that's part of their plan. But even then, you know, he could have flooded the chamber. He chooses not to. 
and there are consequences. I think that's a less compelling example than the other ones, but it still is showing us consequences for a difficult choice. So that's my lesson. Any final thoughts on the whole trilogy? Not really. Do Scarecrow right. Do Scarecrow justice. So we know Rises is my favorite. We know The Dark Knight is David's favorite. Jelani, do you have a ranking? The Dark Knight is too good for not to be my favorite. Especially with Ledger's Joker. Uh, Probably uh, Dark Knight Begins Rises. Extended edition? Is there one? No. I wish that. I'd watch The Dark Knight Begins Rises extended edition. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could just watch all three back to back. (laughs) Do you have half a day to do that? I think you gotta do The Lord of the Rings and then The Godfather (laughs) and figure out which is the best trilogy. Oh, God, I'm tired thinking about that. Well, if there's no more closing thoughts, uh, let's go to the boilerplate. So our next two episodes, we're going to do The Harder They Fall, and then we're going to do Seven. Yeehaw. Check out our YouTube channel. We have our Patreon for $1 a month, uh, and we're going to keep the uh, perk going of the next person to become a patron gets to pick what movie we talk about for our next Patreon episode. Y'all still ain't done that? uh, I don't think anyone's done it yet. Any new person listening, I'm, I'm calling you out right now, uh... Whatever your name is. You know I know your name, though. <laughs> yeah, do it. Or I'm going to find you, and I'm going to find out your name. And uh, the next three people to become a patron will get to pick a movie that we do for watch-alongs. And I'm going to throw you a surprise birthday party. And speaking of, I don't know if we want to call this out, but Jelani just turned 25 yesterday. Oh, so thanks, man. happy birthday there. I don't know if you want to keep that. Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks, dude. Yeah, it's fun. Quarter centennial. Don't, don't. It's a big do deal. Mm, you can rent a car without any fees. I don't even have a license yet, so <laughs> I don't think I'd want to do that. Um, but you could. Wow. So you're just yeah. not looking at the bright side, huh? I mean, I'm close to thirty, man. Oh my god. Yeah, you are. Uh, other boilerplate things. Our merchandise is on Zazzle. Our logo, our logo is by Kelsey Hendry. Show is on Twitter at intanalysis18. I am on Twitter and letterboxed at ev underscore wes. And where are both of you? Instagram Jelani T. Kelly. Twitter Jelani T. Kelly. YouTube Jelani T. Kelly. Just... Uh, I'm going to say I'll be Monday, Wednesday, Friday in Wayne Manor. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday in Bane's lair under the city and this weekend I'll just be hanging out with Catwoman so come hang out world we're all everyone's invited except for Alfred because he has a terrible attitude Lucius Fox VIP guest guest of honor oh and whoever uh, Robin yeah Robin he can't come yeah <laughs> well you know what I didn't want to be invited by you anyway Mr. He Jones. has that too yeah, of course he does <laughs> I think I'm not going to watch this trilogy for a little while now, but I'm glad we covered this. I you think, are watching uh, it right now already again. Don't lie to me. No, no, I'm going to give it a few years. <laughs> I'm going to give I'm going to give it a few years and I'll I'll give it I'll give it a while before we do another Nolan. Give us a break from that. But we we will be covering all of them in time. But uh until then, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. Peace.